we're going to be kind of doing a, a flyover of some foundational truths about who we are. This is going to be a journey between us and them. We're going to be looking at this concept of how we kind of separate ourselves from the people of the world. Now, by the time Paul writes this letter, the church in Rome has already been uh, established that there are both Jewish followers of Jesus and there are also non-Jewish followers of Jesus. And this is recorded in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. Now, at some point, Emperor Claudius decides to get all Jews out of Rome. He kicks all Jewish people out. It's not until five years later are the Jews allowed to return. So not only is it the Jewish, but also the Jewish followers of Jesus, or we would call them the Jewish Christians. Now, th this is the, the interesting part is in those five years, the only people that remained in the, the Christian church in Rome were only if you were non-Jewish, only if you were Gentile. So guess what happens? The Jewish people show back up and everything is different. Things have changed in the church and this has now created a conflict between, between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians. They were having arguments, things such as, should they eat kosher food? Should they celebrate the Sabbath? And even the concept of circumcision was up for argument. So Paul writes the book of Romans to try to bring some harmony between these two groups. To try to help get things straight. It's one, if not the most complete theological works about who Jesus is. And so today we're going to kind of do a look over the first four chapters of Rome and what we want to consider is God's righteousness. How we see God's righteousness compared to our own. One of the things that we begin to unpack here in the book of Romans is that the gospel reveals two things. That God's power is to save people or God has the power to save people. And two, we see God's righteousness. If we turn into our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because, number one, it is the power of God that brings salvation to just Jews that believe. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, okay, let me, let me read that again. It brings salvation to only the Gentiles who believe. Paul, at the very beginning, wants to make it completely clear. This power of God to save is for everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, Paul isn't saying that the Jews are somehow uh, in line first. The reality was is that it did come to the Jews, didn't it? Where was Jesus' ministry? Was it in Rome? Jesus' ministry, the ministry of the gospel, the opportunity to respond to this salvation of grace was in Jerusalem. It was to his own people. So they were offered this gift of salvation first, and then it began to spread throughout the world. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. So he, there's the first one, right? 
It's the power of God to save. And the second one is here. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, I don't make these points up. <laughs> They're from the Bible. Bulk said it first before Captain Dave said it. A righteousness is by what? Paul is also very clear to talk about where this righteousness comes from. In Bible study this past Thursday, we talked a little bit about this. A righteousness that is by... You got your Bibles? What's it say? Faith. Yeah, you need to circle that word. It is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, righteousness is an Old Testament word. It's meaning that God always does what is right or just. We see it throughout the Bible. And it also means that he is faithful to his promises. If he's always going to do what's right and just, and God makes a promise, well, what do we do with our promises? We should keep them, right? So if God makes a promise, and he always does what's right and just, it is right and just to keep your promises so we can trust that if God makes a promise, he is faithful to fulfill that promise. In the scripture now, Paul begins to map out a very lengthy description about man's shortcomings, man's sins, the way that we do not live up to what God would want us to live. He is making a comparison between God's righteousness and our righteousness. And in this explanation, it is abundantly clear that we don't even come close to where God's righteousness is. So here, and he's talking specifically mostly about the Gentiles here, talking about those that live outside of the law and how terrible life has been and the terrible things they have done outside of the law. And so it makes it very plain that the Gentiles are guilty. There is no righteousness in them. Now, I believe it is in this part of the letter that the Jewish followers of Jesus got really excited. They're like, that's right. You, you tell them, Paul, because they don't have the law. That's right. They, they, they've been living terrible, filthy lives, right? They're kind of feeling like Paul, you know, like any good moderator. Like if you have two sides, you're looking for that person who's going to be on your side, right? So they're like, yeah, this is, this is our buddy Paul, right? He's got our backs. He knows what's going on. But then, whoo, they should have continued to read the letter before they started to celebrate. Because then Paul then turns his aim Onto the Jews. He turns his focus onto them. In chapter 2, starting at verse 17, you know it's about to go bad when Paul says, Now you who call yourself a Jew. Now, if I said to you, You who call yourself a Christian, you know that there's going to be some uh, Holy Spirit lashing going on. Right? You call yourself, can, can you kind of get the whole, like, you call yourself a Christian. I can't do that too much. I'm going to need some Advil. But he says, and you, who call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced 
Since then you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law and embodiment and the knowledge of truth. Can, can you see? This is what the Jewish people were saying, why they were superior to everyone else. We are like a light in the dark. We are a, a teacher amongst children. That's condescending, isn't it? And so Paul's rubbing it back in their faces like, you who say you are all these things, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who uh, abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because of you. That's some hard language that Paul is laying down here. He's saying you've put yourself on this pedestal. And because you are being hypocrites, the Jews are falling. They're looking towards you who say you got it all figured out. And you're making a terrible example amongst the world. You call yourself a Jew. So Paul makes it abundantly clear. Whether you're a Gentile or you're a Jew, you are hopelessly trapped. You are guilty. There's not one good amongst you, Paul says in Romans 3, chapter 12. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says that there is no one who does good, not even one. And here Paul is referencing back to Psalm chapter 14 where, where it records that originally. Or as Paul sums up famously in Romans chapter 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There was this fighting amongst followers of Jesus of who was the better follower, who was the better Christian. It, it became a fight between us and them. Which one is right? Which one is holy? And Paul maps it out clearly. None of us are. We have all fallen short. None of us are righteous compared to God's righteousness. And I'll tell you, if Paul would have put a period there and sent the letter off, that would have probably completely deflated the Roman church. There's times in which we need to be reminded of where we started from and who we were. That all of us fell short. Before Jesus, every one of us was a sinner enslaved by the sinful nature. But praise God, Paul did not just put a period there and send it on. Paul wants to give some hope. In verse 21 through 26, we begin to see that Jesus takes on our guilt. Jesus takes on our hopelessness. 
He takes it upon himself because Jesus became what we are so that we can become who he is. Let me say that again. Jesus became what we are so that we can become who he is. So what do the Roman believers have in common with each other? Summed up both in 3.23 and then the following verse in 3.24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Can I get a real amen? amen? They both are guilty and need saving. And they are both justified by faith. Now, are you familiar with that word justified? It simply means to be right with God or to, to declare righteous. But in what, it's, in what ways do we become righteous? In what ways are we right before God? Three quick ways. One, we have a new status. We go from being objects of God's wrath to being objects of God's grace. We are right with God and we are forgiven. Amen? Amen. Can I get a real amen? amen? We have a new family. We are now included in God's family. We are included with God's people. And number three, we have a new future. Our lives are now being transformed. Hallelujah, right? That old self is gone. The new has come. That is part of our justification. This is God's gift to you and to anyone who by faith is in Christ. Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now that had to be an arrow to the Jews that were still clanging on to their Jewish tradition, right? He makes it abundantly clear. Justification is by faith and not by following the works of the law. This would have been a really hard doctrine for the Jewish followers of Jesus. Because their whole life, their whole life, think about it. Their whole life was built around following this law. From the moment that they were little until they, as they got older, everything they did was about being obedient to this law. Some of them even at this point may have said, oh, you had me, Paul. Yeah, you had me that we are sinners. You had me. That it's only by God's righteousness and the sacrifice of Jesus that we are, we are made right. But, I don't, Paul, you're talking crazy talk. You're, you're, speaking, you're speaking crazy, Paul. I don't, I don't know if I can follow through. But, Paul, reading their mind. See, Paul, Paul knew what they were going to say before they ever said it. Because, you know, this is a letter. You don't get the text message back and forth and wait for the question for the answer. you got to be able to answer it before the question ever got there. So Paul, almost anticipating what they're going to be thinking, he decides to go back before the law ever existed. He wanted to go back even before the Ten Commandments. He goes back to the story of Abraham. Looking at Romans chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, accorded, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here, Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 6 is where it's recorded. If you remember, God promised a very old Abraham and a very old Sarah a son. That they were going to be a great nation. And what was Abraham's response? Abraham trusted God. He had faith in his promise. And it says that God did what? He credited to him as righteousness. He was made right with God. He had now been justified. And guess what? It was without the law. It was without works. Only by his complete faith in God. And so Paul writes that Abraham has become the father of a great nation. One that includes Jews and Gentiles. It's the reason the church in Rome could be unified. They didn't have to be an us versus them. They had a reason to be united together. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That was Romans chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. That is still the gospel message. That message is for you and for me. That message of the gospel is for us. And them. It's for us and them. Later on in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul writes this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? There's no way for the people who are living in the world to hear the gospel message unless someone shares it with them. You know, just in the same way where the Jews kind of looked at the Gentiles and was like, well, they, they're a hot mess. They got things all screwed up. Can't we also as followers of Christ do that to people that are in the world? People that are still enslaved in sin. Can't we also kind of look at the people around Bradford and say, we got a bunch of screwed up people. Right? We do that. We say that. And it's because they don't know Jesus. They haven't been presented. Some may have been presented with the gospel and some may have chosen to reject it. And that is the choice that God has given them. But I would believe that there are so many more that need to know about the life, 
changing power of the gospel. It does what two things, right? It has the power to save and it is God's righteousness. It makes us right with him. It can make them right with him. But sometimes, church, we got to be careful. We have to be careful because Paul makes it abundantly clear that it's not about the works that the Jews were following, right? we got to be careful as Christians that we don't put the yoke that is on us and immediately put it on them. Well, if you're going to accept Jesus, Bible study is on, 30, on Thursday at 7 o'clock, church is at 11 o'clock, and we begin to make them feel as if they don't begin to take on the habits of a Christian, that somehow does not make them saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting back to works. We're becoming just like the Jews where we're saying to be a true follower of Jesus, we need to follow these rules or these habits. You see, those things come after accepting who Jesus is. It is by faith we believe and it is by faith that we receive grace and we are justified. Now, does that mean that we don't encourage them? To come to Bible study or the wonderful fellowship we have in church. Like, oh, I want to introduce you to some fantastic people. Would you come to church with me on Sunday? But we have to be careful not to give the false impression that it's those things that make somebody a Christian. It's not those things that make us justified, right? Are we all on the same page here? Am I preaching anything that Paul didn't already say in Romans? I don't think I'm making it up. But it's good a reminder for us because I love coming to church. And I think anyone who wants to follow Jesus, being a part and being encouraged and being loved on by other believers is going to be essential for your, your spiritual growth. You know, to be encouraged by other people to say, how you doing today? Hey, keep it up, man. You're doing a great job. And I mean that. Right? I mean, it's a good thing. But being in this room does not make you a Christian. Uh, Rob said this yesterday, I think it was. Just like, or no, Thursday. Just like being in a garage doesn't make you a mechanic. Right? Isn't that what you said Thursday? A car. Being in, being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Same way being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Right? We need to be justified by a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you guys to memorize Romans 3.24 because if I ask you to quote Romans 3.23, you could probably do it, right? For all have sinned. And verse 24. Hold on, let me look it up. <laughs> because we need both, right? We, we need the reality and we need the hope. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sorry, I have to read it. I don't have it memorized. So fingers pointing back at me. One finger at you, three at me, right? And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's the reality and the hope. And then that hope, follow me, that hope becomes... All right, let me do that again. It starts with our reality. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We have our reality and our hope. But then our hope becomes our reality. We are sinners saved by grace. Right? What a message for the people that are lost. What a message for the world. 
If you ask people why they don't become Christian or why they don't like go to church, you'll hear they have too many rules. It's too restricting. Last time I checked, we don't follow the law. Right? That means we've done something wrong in our presentation of the gospel. Right? It's a challenge for each one of us. It is a real challenge. But we know that there are people lost and are dying that need the hope of Jesus. They need Jesus. And we can present the gospel to them. Would you pray with me?